We have an exec team here at the crossing, about five of us that meet on a weekly basis. And you know, before the pandemic hit, we met in a small office around a small table, perfect for our size, and just had you know, great interaction. And then when the pandemic hit and the rules with the city came and all these things, and so we did the thing where we moved over to a classroom that has like 10 round tables in it, and we each sat at our own individual round table about 10 or 15 feet apart from each other. That's what we had to do. And we would sort of yell and have our meeting, and, and that was our exec meeting for, well, I noticed last Tuesday we're still doing it. I don't know why. There's no good reason now. We've all on our exec team either had COVID and been vaccinated a thousand times. Uh, for us, at least, we're not at all. We don't feel threatened by it. But for whatever reason, we're stuck in a habit. We haven't really even talked about it. We're still meeting in a classroom at our own round table 15 feet apart from each other and yelling when we could be easily meeting in an office with a round table. And it got me thinking about today because I was thinking, I wonder if... Are you stuck in a habit that made sense a couple years ago, but for whatever reason, because of your situation, it no longer makes as much sense for you, but you're stuck in a habit that you just, you don't know why. And these kinds of things, you know, these kind of habits are reductive. They reduce your life from what it used to be. Do you've, have you stuck in a habit? How has a habit you've been stuck in reduced your life now compared to what it was before? Was there a time in your life when you felt like your life was more? Your life was bigger? When was peak you? My guess is, the things that were true of you then are two things. One is, I bet you were living your life for something bigger than just yourself. And I bet, number two, you were involved in a community that mattered to you. And I got to thinking when I thought about community, about a verse that's always captivated me. It's an interesting verse, a little passage in the book of Acts, where the apostle Paul is saying a final goodbye to a church elder group that he'd been a part of for more than three years, longest place he'd been in any place. So he really had a strong relationship with this church. And he was saying a final goodbye that they would never see his face again. And Luke gives us a glimpse into everything, well, a, probably a summary of the things that he said to them in this conversation. We're not gonna read it today, except I wanna look at the last thing. And here's what it says in verse 35 of Acts 20. Paul says this when he's talking to these, this group of elders. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering, now here's the key here. Remembering is something that he's saying, look, I said this to you all the time, what Jesus had said. And he's getting ready to quote Jesus. Here's the thing. What he's getting ready to quote Jesus, we don't have, any, we don't have Jesus saying anywhere in the Gospels. The thing is, is it was one of these Oral, you know, oral sayings of Jesus that the apostles knew that never made it into the gospel. Remember, John says, there's so many other things Jesus said, but I can't write a book that would take up the whole world. This is one of those things that never made it into the gospels, but it became what we would call a, you know, a, a core value statement in the church. It became something that was repeated all the time. Here it is. He says, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, and here it is, it is more blessed or blessed to give than to receive. 
And so it goes on and it says this. Luke says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And the next verse says, especially since they knew they would not see his face ever again. Here's a a question. Other than your family, is there a group of Christians in your life where if one of them was going to leave and you were never going to see them again, you would have this moment of embracing them with incredible, intense grief, kissing them and embracing them and weeping? Are there people in your life that would fit that category? Because see, here's the thing. I think that kind of strong bond that they had with one another was directly tied to, well, what I said would be like a values, core value statement, was directly tied to the statement that Paul obviously said to them and that they lived out over and over. Let's look at it again. Verse 35, where Jesus says, it is more blessed or blessed to give than to receive. Now, when you read that word blessed in the Bible, both the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not really what we mean when we mean hashtag blessed. I mean, there's some overlap there because every good gift is a gift from God. But it means something far deeper than that, far richer than that. It has the idea of happiness, but not a fun necessarily happiness idea, but the happiness of a deep-seated joy, the idea that a life is flourishing the way that you know you're meant to flourish. This deep-seated happiness is what the Bible means when it means blessed. And so this is interesting because it's counterintuitive, completely counterintuitive when Jesus says this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Because see, we think to be happier, we need to try to get more and more of what we think we need to be happy. So that, that kind of becomes the, the map of our life. Getting what we need to be happy. And our life is a pursuit of trying to get one thing or another, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or whether it's a house or whether it's a car or whether it's a new technology. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But what we're trying to do is get things to make us happy. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Jesus is saying, no, there's an entire paradoxical reality where your greatest happiness will come when you become a giver more than a getter. That's when you're truly going to have this deep-seated, greater happiness. He's not saying that getting doesn't make you happy. He says more, it is more blessed. You'll, be, you'll have a greater happiness living entirely counterintuitively that comes from being somebody who sees your life as a giver more than a getter. I'm thinking about a book I read this summer when I think about that. A book I read this summer called Live Wired. It's written by a neuroscientist at Stanford University. And I, you, if you've been a part of these sermons that I've been preaching for a while, you know I've been reading books on neuroplasticity, how the brain is always rewiring itself based upon our experiences, what we see, what we say, what we do, all these kinds of things. It's fascinating. I'm not gonna get into that today, but if you know me, you know I will in sermons to come this fall. But I wanna get into one little thing I read in this book this summer. And that's this thing called the nun study. It's a multi-decade study with hundreds of Catholic nuns that lived in convents. 
And this, what they had to do, they had to agree to three things. They had to agree to, to routine cognitive t- testing. They had to agree to sharing their medical records. And they had to agree to donate their brain after death so they could be studied. Here's what's amazing, according to this book, according to this neuroscientist at Stanford, he said, here's what's amazing, is that while many of them lived well into their 80s and beyond, they never sh- some of them never showed any cognitive degeneration at all, any lacking of cognitive ability. In fact, they were smart as a whip when it came to their cognitive exams. They didn't lose a beat. But when they died and they did the autopsy on their brain, they found that their brain was riddled with the ravages of Alzheimer's disease. And they tried, what in the world? How does somebody have so much Alzheimer's disease degenerate in their brain, and yet they showed no signs of cognitive decline whatsoever in their, in their lives? Well, this neuroscientist, David Eagleman, he, says, he explains it this way. He says in the book, the key is that the nuns in their, con- in, in their convents had to consistently use their wits until their final days. They had responsibilities, chores, social lives, arguments, game nights, group discussions, and so on. Unlike typical octogenarians, 80-something years old, they didn't have a retirement that plopped them onto a couch in front of a television set. Because of their active mental lives, their brains were forced to constantly build new bridges, even as some of their neural roadways were physically falling apart. Now, I think he's right. Obviously, I'm not a neuroscientist, so let's just take his word for it. But I tend to think it's a little bit more than just being somebody with active mental lives. I think it's what he said before, that these were people that had responsibilities. They had chores. They had social lives. They had arguments. They had game nights. They had all things that they had to do. They had this social life with one another that demanded that they build new neural pathways to continue to navigate because they couldn't quit the relationships. They were living in a convent. So here's what's interesting is that while their brain was degenerating, their neural networks were degenerating, their cognitive abilities were not because of the demand of having to navigate social relationships in ways where they had to serve one another and be a part of one another's lives and give to one another, and they couldn't quit because they had to live with one another. That was, they were nuns in a convent. And I think it goes back to Jesus' words, even Paul's words before Jesus' words. In verse 35 again, where it says, Paul says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. In other words, those who have a need at this point in their lives, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, what Paul's saying there is being a giver rather than a getter really is hard work. There's no sugarcoating it. It is hard work, and that's why it's so much easier not to do it especially if we've developed habits of survival that have trained us how not to do it, how to stay safe at a distance and not be involved in each other's lives, and we haven't really thought about it, but we're still stuck in those habits. It's really easy not to do the hard work. 
But it is incredibly hard work. But you see, here's the thing, that a church community flourishes in the hard work of lots of people reaching out to others rather than doing the safe and distant thing because it's easier to stay distant. A church community like the Apostle Paul's talking about that we see where they're embracing one another when they're never gonna see him again, they're embracing him, kissing him, grieving, crying. That kind of community happens when a church flourishes in the hard work of lots of people reaching out to others, well, in need, but also just reaching out to others like the nuns, reaching out to others, navigating relationships and and having responsibilities with one another and having to serve one another and having arguments with one another because that's what community always does and having to navigate all those things. There's all kinds of stories I could share in this church that are examples of this. Let me just share a a few. One is I was just talking to my daughter-in-law, Molly, the other day. This is her. And she was saying how we were talking and she was talking about a conversation she recently had. And and the story, I go back, give you some background. The story was when Molly and my my son and their family moved into their new neighborhood, she didn't know anybody. She's a very extroverted social kind of person. And so she just went out for a walk and she's got a baby in a stroller on a walk and she sees another woman walking with a baby in a stroller on a walk. You know how it is when you're kind of walking and there's a sidewalk and how you're going to navigate this, you know, and do you walk across the street or whatever. She just decided to just interrupt her, introduce herself and say, you know, hey, I'm new to the neighborhood. Do you want to come over and bring your kid, have a play date? We can talk. And, you know, the, the woman did. Molly looks back at that time. She said to me, she said, I don't know what in the world why I was so forward. I'm never that way. It had to have been the Holy Spirit wanting me to reach out to this woman because the Holy Spirit was reaching out to this woman. And so the woman did come over turns out she was very recently had to leave her husband because of an abusive situation. And when Molly was talking to her, she said, you know, I go to a church and we have that church. We have support for women who are in a situation like yours. You should check it out. Well, the woman didn't seem that interested. She was polite, but you know, who knows what came of it, except we found out later what came of it. She went home and she started watching our services online. And after a while of watching our services online, making sure we weren't bringing out the snakes and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) she decided to come in person. And so she came in person, and she says that right from the first song, she wept the entire way through the service because she knew this is... This is something here that's exactly what she needs. She didn't quite know how to articulate it, so she just cried the whole time. Well, Molly, when she came, Molly got her connected to staff on our staff that got her connected to the groups that gave her the support that she needs. She now attends the crossing regularly on Sundays. She's involved in crossing women's Bible study on Tuesday, this specifically for women in tough situations. She's involved in a weekly support group for women who have a, coming out of abusive relationships. And now she's getting involved, considering getting involved in a crossing 20s group. And she gave me permission to share her story, even though I didn't give you her name. But she said this to Molly recently, and this is how the whole conversation started, because this is a pretty cool comment. She said to Molly, she says, I never would have visited a church on my own, but it was my relationship with you that made me open to it. It has totally changed my life. Now, we could say 
all the things that she just said, another way we could say it is that somebody doing the hard work of taking a risk to be a giver and to reach out to somebody has been used by God to totally change somebody's life. That kind of initiative that when she looks back, it was more forward than normal. Let me tell you about Amanda and Charlie. Amanda and Charlie moved here last November. They both got jobs here. They just got married like in October of last year, so 2021, so less than a year ago. And they moved here to Columbia in November to take new jobs. And so they looked online for a church. And the second church, I'm a little irritated by this, but the second church they came to was The Crossing. Uh, they told me the, first, the name of the first church, and I'm kind of bitter now at them. But, uh, but they came to the crossing. I'm kidding. They're friends of mine, too. Uh, but they came to the crossing, and they heard about a newcomer's breakfast that we have from time to time. In fact, we got one uh, next Sunday. But they heard about the newcomer's breakfast, so they went to that. And they got to know another couple, a similar stage in life. They exchanged cell numbers, kind of started texting each other, arranged to sit together on a Sunday in church. Uh, they told me that, you know what, they were so encouraged by how well that worked that now whenever they meet somebody, they, they kind of do the same thing. They say, hey, do you want to sit together at church some Sunday and then afterwards go get lunch? And so they decided, you know what, we don't know anybody. If we're going to get plugged into a community, we're going to have to take the initiative. So they started coming to every event that was sort of an event where they could get to know people and things that they wanted to get involved in. They came to the Crossing 20s Magic Tree event last December. They met there one of the Crossing All-Stars, Reina Bueno, and Reina introduced them to another couple there that convinced them to join a small group. So they joined a small group, and they say now they've got this well, I'll just let you look what they said to me. They said this. I said, tell me this. What would you say? You guys seem to have cracked the code. What would you say to other people coming to church? How can they get involved if they don't feel like they're involved in community? And they said this. I'd say push yourself to come meet people because you have to take the initial step to have that community of support for your walk of faith. Now, let's just park it right here for a minute because see, here's what I want you to see. less people reached out to them than they reached out to others. And you know what? Sometimes that's just the way it is in communities because we're all trying to navigate the risks and the hard work because it's so much easier not to reach out. So they had to do all the reaching out. These new people had to do all the reaching out, but they did. And they forced themselves to come to things so that they could reach out, and they took the uncomfortable steps to take risks to reach out. And so they say, you know what? You're gonna have to push yourself to reach out, to take the initial steps to build community so that you can have the support of your walk of faith. And they go on to say this. They said, we've grown more in our faith in the last year just having more of a community and feeling like we can be vulnerable and comfortable with the people around us. See, they found a way to be involved in community because they did the uncomfortable thing and take risk. And now they're saying, I've grown more in my faith this past year. Technically, it hadn't been a year. This past year than I have in any other time in my life. Why? Because they've gotten involved in community where they feel like they can be vulnerable. They have Christian friends who can support them in their faith because they're all trying to grow in their faith together. 
Let me tell you one more story. Let me introduce you to Jennifer. Jennifer, let me just kind of give you some background. About three years ago, was at a low point in her life. She's a single mom of four kids. She got to a point where she was involved in substance abuse. She was addicted to substance abuse. And she knew she couldn't care as a single mom for her four kids. And so she didn't think it was fair holding on to them but not being able to care for them as somebody who's addicted to a drug habit. And so she just literally drove them to Rainbow House and dropped them off and drove away. Dropped them off with them. And it turns out she had to leave her kids. They got involved. They got plugged into the foster care system here in Columbia. And she just was brokenhearted. And it woke her up. And she knew she needed to get sober. And she knew she needed to get sobered and get her kids back and be a mom. And so she entered a recovery program. It was incredibly hard work. Part of being in that recovery program, though, she got to meet some guys that are part of the interaction, kind of a Christian halfway house here that we support as a church where men that come out of incarceration are part of this half Christian halfway house. And a lot of these guys were involved in the, in the, rehab, the recovery program, and she got to know them. They became a tight community, and they, they went to the crossing. They come to the crossing. And so they, that's the first she heard of the crossing was from these guys in the into action house that just got out of incarceration. And so they convinced her to come to the crossing. So she says she finally decided to come to the crossing one Sunday. And she said it, the moment she walked in here, it blew her mind. Because that was a Sunday, for whatever reason, people were surrounding her and loving her and bringing her in. And she got to see people who really cared about her, got to be introduced to other people who could help her with her kids. She came here about four months by herself. And then uh, eventually she was able to get her kids back and her kids came here and they've been coming with her kids for about a year and a half. Her kids got plugged into a ministry we have here at the crossing called Agape. It's a ministry that is a support group. It's a, we have staff, interns, all that, that are a support group for adults with special needs and families with kids with special needs and her kids are involved in Agape. Megan Fleming, who runs our Agape program, she says that Megan is an angel sent from God. Now, as a pastor, I want to tell you that's not true. She's not an angel. She's a person. But that's how she <laughs> describes Megan. Because, see, Megan, with our Agape program, has really invested in their family and become part of their family and has meals at their house with their family and does holidays with their family. And Megan told me it's a mutual thing. I get stuff out of that. I've learned so much from Jennifer as well. Jennifer's been sober for two years now. Yeah, absolutely. She and her family have been part of the crossing. She's actually right here. And it's cool to see her here while we're talking. But she's been part of the crossing. And she said this to me when I was talking to her. She says, for my life, my story, my children's story, this place has made a world of difference. The crossing is our family. This is our place. We love it here. And this place has allowed me to grow in my faith 
and to take time that I need to come closer with Jesus. She's now involved in working in a program that helps other women overcome their addictions, helps other women in their recovery. Because people reached out. See, we want to be a church that is committed to the hard work, a community committed to the hard work, flourishing because of the hard work of lots of people reaching out to others when it's so much easier not to. This is our vision as a church, to be the kind of church that when somebody comes in here, that they're struck by, they're overwhelmed by this sense that we're different. They're overwhelmed by this sense that we're different because we believe in the wisdom of Jesus for our lives when he says we're going to be far happier, a far greater happiness by, people, by being people who are givers more than getters. That we really do believe those words. Now, maybe you were that way before the pandemic more than you are now, and you're kind of realizing maybe... Maybe in the last two years, you've kind of been stuck in some habits. And you're, it's, you know, these habits of safety and distancing have become a way of life for you. And now you're just sort of always thinking in terms of distance and safety. And you're not able to think in terms of the risks necessary for the hard work of reaching out to others. And you've missed, somehow you've You've, you've lost this sense of awe and wonder and transcendence of having a mission in life of becoming a giver more than a getter. Well, now's the time to, to change that. This is a time as a church, August, going into September, going into the fall. This is a perfect time for you to make a change and to get more plugged in in some way. If you're new here, we have a newcomer's breakfast, just like I talked about that Amanda and Charlie went to. We have a newcomer's breakfast next Sunday at 8.30. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you guys that. The 11 o'clock service, you're not gonna probably come at 8.30 for a newcomer's <laughs> breakfast. But if you so get inspired and wanna come, it's over there in room 320 in the student center next Sunday at 8.30. At it's a great way to get to know people just like Amanda and Charlie did. Get to know some staff and all that kind of stuff. This is the time now, if you're thinking about getting in a small group, maybe this is a time for you to check out what we call a small group preview. That's gonna be Thursday night at 6.30 over here in the student center in room 319. Just walk over to the student center, you won't be able to miss it this Thursday at 6.30 and you can find out what a small group is like and then maybe consider being a part of one yourself because right now is the time we're starting small groups. And so if you want to be in one, this is the time to get involved in one. Maybe this is a great time for you to find a place to serve. We've got all kinds of places for you to serve. Some of them require very little Christian maturity if you don't feel like that's you and you can still plug in and serve as good as, as well as anybody because we have all kinds of things to do here. And so, you know, after this service, you can go into the foyer and there's some tables out there. You can find the places to ask questions. But here's what I would do if I were you, is right in front of you, there's a QR code, little cute, weird code on the chair in front of you. 
and take your camera on your phone, point it at that, and then when a little yellow thing comes up, hit that, and that'll take you to our serving page, and you're gonna see all kinds of things on there, ways for you to serve. At the top, you're gonna see Crossing Kids, and here's why. Is that every week at Crossing Kids, we have to turn away kids. Not because we don't have enough space, we got tons of space, it's because we don't have enough volunteers for crossing kids. And so the past six months, we've had to turn away more than 300 kids. Now to be a community that's flourishing because we're committed to the hard work of taking risks and reaching out to people, that seems like something we should try to solve. So maybe that's you, I don't know. Maybe you're at a point where the next step for you is to just simply start giving. Because every single story that I talked about today, there's a staff member there or two or three who are really good at their jobs, who were able to provide help and support and get people plugged into ministries and opportunities that change their life. That's what gives us the ability as a church to do that is people giving to the crossing so that we can give to people in this community. Maybe you've been giving, but maybe you need to increase your giving. I don't know that. You have to decide this between you and God. Nobody's gonna bug you about this. But maybe that's the next step for you to take the risk because it's better to be a giver than a getter. You'll be happier being a giver than a getter. That's what makes churches different that are making a difference in people's lives. So be different. Be different because you believe the words of Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a video that went viral this week. It's a little league baseball game. And one of the teenage kids gets hit, beamed in the head by a pitch that got away from the pitcher. And it's a scary scene. Uh, this video, I, I kind of cut it for time, but the, the video, you know, the player eventually went, that got hit, went to first base, and he noticed from first base, he's looking over at the pitcher, and the pitcher's standing there, and he just can't, he's crying, he's losing it, he can't get his composure. And so the player that got hit, that's at first base, decided to just walk off first base and come over to the pitcher. Let's take a moment and watch this scene. Oh, look out. It's awful good to see this young man come to his feet. So this is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. What a stud right there. Zay Jarvis. This is the best thing that I've ever seen in Little League Baseball. The pitcher in an article I was reading said that what the guy from first base said to him when he hugged him, he says, just take a deep breath. You're an excellent pitcher and you've got this. Go ahead and pitch a great game. He obviously said more. But you know what? It was, it's weird. And the reason why it went viral is because it's weird. It's because the player was on first base and the normal player would be mad he got hit in the head and try to use the grievance and being offended to motivate himself to be more competitive. But there was something about this kid, I don't know what, but he saw the pitcher crying on the mound and he just couldn't stand there on first base first base and so he walks to the pitcher and he hugs him and he embraces him because he takes the risk because it's better to be a giver than a getter and he takes the risk 
to encourage him because he was different. I don't know why, something about him, but he's different. Be different. We can all be different so that when people come across your path, you're different. You're not doing the safe thing. You're not just standing there on first base. You're taking risks. You're taking risks to embrace people. You're taking risks to encourage people because you want to be different, because you believe the wisdom of Jesus for your life, that it really is better. You really will be happier. You'll be more blessed being a giver rather than a getter. Amen.